This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I am excited to have my first Annie as a guest. Welcome, Annie. <laughs> Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for being here. So why don't you um, take us back sort of to the beginning for you, like where it all started in your journey with alcohol? Sure. Um, I grew up in a small town in Marin County, California. It's north of San Francisco. And um, I guess the first time I had alcohol was when I was 14. It was on my birthday. And my friends cooked me dinner and gave me what I they said was near beer. I don't know if you remember near beer, but it was <laughs> in the 80s, beer without alcohol in it. And I drank it and then after we had one or two, um, they told me that it was real beer. And so, you know, I thought that was hilarious and um, we had a really good time. We were running around. My friend had a big house and we were running around on her lawn and falling down. And, you know, it felt sort of wild and crazy. And it's the first time I'd ever experienced any sort of high like that. And so um, there was that and, you know, it was fun. There was no, I didn't get sick. There was no big consequence to that. And after that, I didn't really drink for, I don't know, I guess till my junior year in high school when I would have a beer at a party once in a while or a boyfriend would give me a wine cooler or something like that. But um, I really didn't drink very much in high school, you know, just occasionally. the culture that I grew up in were there a lot of very successful, um, high-functioning people who enjoyed alcohol, right? So my parents would enjoy wine with dinner, and um, anytime we went on vacation with other families, there were cocktails, and on holidays, there were cocktails and wine and, you know, champagne, and it just seemed like something that everybody did, and nobody had a problem, at least, you know, from where I sat and from what I understood. So, um, so I guess my drinking ramped up more when I got to college. I went to Northwestern, which was far from home. Northwestern's near Chicago. And so um, there, again, I was surrounded by a lot of high-functioning kids who, you know, got good grades and worked hard and also played hard. And I fell into that. And I think I started drinking more at parties. But again, I quickly learned what my limits were. You know, I would drink, I drank a couple times to the point where I got sick enough to throw up, um, or I had a bad hangover the next day. But that was so uncomfortable for me that I really learned what my limit was so I could avoid that. So drinking and social thing. 
again, we used it to have fun. You know, it was fun at that point. Um, after college, I moved back to California. I started working. I went to grad school. Um, I was busy with my career and drinking was not a big thing. I would do it once in a while with friends. Oh, can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Am I, I just <laughs> Um, yeah, I would go out once in a while and have a glass of wine or a beer, but, oh, is it there? Yeah, I can, can hear you. still you. hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we'd go out once in a while, but with work, I was so busy, you know, after work, I would come home and um, I would go to a yoga class or I'd go on a run or something like that, you know, and then drinking was just for weekends or a party or that kind of thing. Um, so... Around 30, I had my first baby. I got married to my college sweetheart. Um, I got pregnant right away. And my husband's job transferred us to Detroit, Michigan. So around that time, I had just had a baby. Um, when we got to Michigan, I was pretty isolated. I, you know, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family. I left my job to stay at home with my baby. Um, and that's, I think, probably when I started drinking um, more regularly. You know, I would have a glass of wine when I made dinner. Um, again, it wasn't very much more than a glass, you know, and often it wasn't every day. It was you know, once in a while. Um, as we started to make friends, we would go to parties and barbecues and there would be drinking there. But again, like my limit has always been around two or three at the most. Um, and so life went on, I went back to work. Um, I think when I hit 40 <laughs> was when it all finally started to catch up with me. And I just started to, I think, emotionally depend on it more. I started having a glass of wine every day at the end of the day. Um, I don't really like to cook, but I've fallen into the role, you know, in our family as being the one who prepares all the meals. And so dinner would roll around and I'd be tired. And the only thing that could get me to have the energy to make everybody dinner was looking forward to open opening a bottle of wine and having some wine while I cooked. And so I started that habit. And then um, I started working several evenings a night. And I thought, oh, okay, this is good because it's going to break that habit. I can't really drink wine and then go to work, right? I'm a therapist. And of course, I need to be sober for my sessions. And so um, what happened that sort of stuck in my mind is, okay, something's not right here, is I would get home from work around nine. And instead of just getting ready for bed and watching TV, um, I would have a glass of wine then, you know, after I got home from work. And I didn't even really want it. It just seemed like something I needed to do. Um, so years went on. Um, a few years ago, my husband's job transferred us again to Atlanta, Georgia. And so again, uh, we moved. We ended up in a brand new place. We didn't have any friends or family here. I left my job that I liked in Michigan. So again, I was sort of on my own and um, the kids adjusted really well. And we live in a beautiful house and my husband was really happy with his job. Um, but I was sort of left not really knowing what to do. You know, I was finding that 
you know, I didn't know anybody. It was harder to make friends now that my kids were older. I wasn't working because I don't have a license to do therapy in Georgia. And I just felt sort of stuck. And so the one thing I was continuing with was my wine drinking in the evenings. And so I started to get really into it. I joined not one, but two of those wine clubs where they would send you yeah. boxes of different <laughs> wines. And then I branched out from wine to Prosecco and I got really into sparkling stuff. And it just sort of became this focus for me. Like I was really into it. And then sort of at the same time, I'm 47 now. So about two years ago, right around the time we moved here, I started realizing like I had no energy for anything. I wasn't sleeping well at night. I was sort of depressed. Um, mm -hmm. I just couldn't figure out where my energy went. I ate well, I exercise all the time. You know, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. So I was trying different diets. I went to an energy healer. I was trying all this stuff. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, it could be the wine you're drinking every night. You know, this could be, but I did not want to think about that at all. You know, I still am in this friendship culture and family culture where we like to celebrate with drinks and um, as part of vacations and family gatherings. And I just didn't want to think about that, right? So, um, so yeah, so here I am. And oh, and then I started to realize things like, I can't drink wine after eight o'clock or else I don't sleep at all, right? Mm. If I have any wine or anything to drink after eight, then my sleep is messed up for the rest of the night. Or I wake up and I'm really anxious and I can't get back to sleep. Um, but I can't drink too early in the day either because then I'm tired <laughs> and I wanna go to bed. So it turns out there, there was this one window of time where I could drink a glass of wine or two. And that was in between like 4.30 and 6. <laughs> so that started to take control. I mean, this sounds so sad right now, but that started to be my focus. And if the kids had a game at night or a practice, I was trying to scramble to figure out how I wouldn't have to drive home so I could you know, have my glass of wine between 4.30 and 6 or, you know, or I'd have my husband go watch the game. And all of a sudden this just started to sink in. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm not really even enjoying this. I'm at home, like circumscribing my days around one or two glasses of wine. You know, something is not right here. So I started reading a lot of stuff. I go online and I would... Google alcohol dependence. I didn't really feel like I was an alcoholic because we never have more than a couple glasses of wine or Prosecco or whatever it was. Um, and I would stop and give it up for periods of time, but I would always sort of slink back into the habit. And so I started reading books and nobody's story really uh, clicked with me. I mean, I loved the stories and I loved hearing how people gave up their habit and, and sort of got over it. But until I read your book, nothing really clicked. And then when I found The Naked Mind, oh my gosh, it was, everything made so much sense. I read it all the way through and then I read it again all the way through. And by the time I finished it the second time, I knew I was done. I, I had all, I loved all the science in it. And 
Um, something in particular I really responded to was how you broke down when you drink, you get that buzz for about 20 minutes and then you have to either drink more to maintain it or you crash. And that was exactly what was happening to me. And that's why I had this window of 4.30 to six. I had to time it around bed. I couldn't really go out late at night like I used to with friends and drink all night long. I just couldn't do that anymore. Um, it just completely explained to me what was happening. Uh, and I realized this is just, this is what it is. This is what's been affecting my energy. This is why I'm not sleeping. This is why I haven't really gotten my life together here in Georgia. I haven't been talking to people. All I've been thinking about is my cocktail hour, you know, and that's just not me. I mean, that just didn't sit well with me at all. And so I finished your book. I had like a quarter bottle of Prosecco in the freezer because I liked it super cold. I poured that last glass. I drank it. I didn't even enjoy it. And I just knew I was done. And that was it. This was actually, I was excited. I chose this date to try to come on the podcast because this week was a year ago when this all happened. Congratulations. It's so amazing. And I can't even tell you how much better things have gotten. I feel like a new person. I feel like a kid again. I mean, my energy is back. Um, I started working at this job that I love. I go to all my kids' practices and games. I'm so much more present as a mom. Um, I mean, my hair is growing again. (laughs) My skin looks better. And the crazy thing is, like I said, I wasn't even drinking that much, but just the amount I was drinking on a regular basis was really, really impacting my functioning, my brain functioning, everything. Um, So, wow. I mean, I'm so happy that you wrote that book and it's been so useful to me. I'm so glad. That's great. So how has it been um, sort of socially? Have you run into any hiccups with other people or, you know, judgments? Um, Well, honestly, I think the first couple months were hard. Um, Yeah, I actually, I wanted to talk about that because I was in this mindset I knew that this was right for me. So there wasn't a lot of wavering, like I wasn't gonna go back and start you know, doing what I had been doing before. I know something fundamental had changed, but I was also thinking, I sort of had the mindset of why me? Why me? I'm surrounded by people in my family who are high functioning drinkers. My friends are high achieving, high functioning drinkers. How do they do it? Like, how do they manage to just have such, a good time with alcohol and I can't even handle a glass or two. And so I had that mindset, sort of a pity mindset. And uh, that sort of lingered for about a couple months. And I stopped drinking in October and we did a friend's Thanksgiving in November where we went to Savannah and visited some very, very close friends and they're super supportive and they knew I wasn't drinking, but everybody else was drinking. And so I had that sort of, um, especially the first day we got there and I was tired. We had driven. This is always a trigger for me. It's like a travel day with the kids. I want to get where I'm going and just have a glass of wine. So that was the first for me of not being able to, to do that. And that was hard. But after that, it wasn't so hard. You know, I 
found a drink I like to drink that's um, non-alcoholic. And so it's a Kavita. It's not kombucha, but it's a Kavita oh, yeah. apple cider yeah. tonic. It's yeah. sort of effervescence with I like, and you know, I'll have that. So I got a bunch of that. That's what I had with Thanksgiving. Um, and then the other thing that came up was Christmas. This is again a holiday. We went to California to visit my parents. Um, my dad lives in Tiburon and he has this beautiful house on San Francisco Bay and it has a big deck and it's the most beautiful view of the Golden Gate Bridge and the city and you know you can see seals and otters and boats going by and everybody likes to pour a glass of wine and enjoy the view and so that's what we do and I was sort of nervous about being there because that's such a happy place for me and I thought oh man um and I hadn't really told my family that I wasn't drinking. It's just, I didn't want to, I wasn't really ready to talk about it. Um, so we got there and on Christmas, or no, not Christmas, on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, the last day of the year. So it was New Year's Eve. My husband and I went on a hike. Um, it was like a 14 mile hike. We hiked the Dipsy, which went from Mill Valley up over Mount Tamalpais to Stinson Beach. And we hiked out there and then we hiked back. And then by the time we got back to my dad's, the sun was setting and my dad had this really nice bottle of champagne. And he's like, well, you know, champagne's your favorite. And he's like, just do you want a glass? And I said, okay, I'll have a glass of champagne. So he poured me one and it was really, really good. I had it on the couch. I looked at the view and he said, do you want a little more? And he poured me half a glass and I said, okay, that's it. You know, that's all I can do this. And it was fine. I mean, I enjoyed it in that moment. I went to bed and oh my God, three in the morning, I wake up and I have like that anxiety and I can't get back to sleep. And I think, oh, what did I do? You know, that was stupid. I did enjoy it in the moment, admittedly, but like that it happened right away. It was like clockwork. I'd been sleeping really, really well, but that night I woke up. Then the next day I was tired and around five o'clock I had this craving like, oh, I know there's more champagne <laughs> in the fridge. There's probably half a bottle. And then I caught myself. I'm like, no, this is exactly what happens. Like, nope. I'm glad I took that glass of champagne because that taught me exactly what happens. I enjoyed it for about 20 minutes. It knocked me out. I didn't get a good night's sleep. And then the next day I have this craving for it again. So, you know, I stopped. And then the next social thing that came up was in February on Valentine's Day, we had some really good friends who we don't see very often. They live in DC, come unexpectedly to visit us for a weekend. They were with their kids. And so we went out to dinner. And again, I had this reluctance to say anything like I'm not drinking. I thought, well, I'll just order a glass of Prosecco. I might not even drink the whole thing. I just don't wanna get into you know, explaining. Now, like looking back on this, I'm thinking they don't care. Like, wh why would anybody care if I had, like, this was all in my head, right? So I ordered the Prosecco. It didn't taste very good. It wasn't that cold. I drank about half and it just wasn't enjoyable at all. And again, I couldn't sleep very well. So now I'm learning, okay, 
this is not an option for me anymore. I can't really tolerate this. I'm really sensitive to it. I'm not enjoying it. This, there's no place for this. And so, yes, it's been a year since I've given up alcohol. Yes, there were those two nights that I did drink. And I wanted to talk about this specifically on the podcast because I don't think if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have known for sure. Yeah. Having done that sort of experiment those two nights really reinforced with me that this was not right for me. I feel like if I'd given it up completely and not had those two nights, I would wonder, well, maybe it will be different now that I've taken a break, you know, for a long time. Um, so that was pretty instrumental in this process for me is, and I know that that's not the same for everybody. And I understand that that's not an option for a lot of people, but the way I interpreted your book was that it's not off limits. You're not saying to yourself, no, I'm never going to drink again. And so those two nights were really important for me to, to get to where I am. And also in the beginning, I would think about, well, you know, one day I might want to have a glass of champagne at someone's wedding or, you know, a big occasion. And now I'm sort of at the point where I'm thinking, you know, no, I'm not going to say never, but probably I won't want that because I tried that and I know what happens. And that 15 minutes of feeling that little buzz is just not worth the anxiety, the sleeplessness, the low energy, um, the way my body responds, just it's not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, I don't know, you probably read this naked mind, but in, actually I talk about it in both, but I did a very similar thing, just like very pragmatically. And it was such a freeing experience for me. And I agree with you, like not everybody wants that path. Not everybody should think about that. Like it's not for everybody, but for me, um, oh my gosh, it was so freeing to consciously drink without the physical craving. So it was enough time that had passed where I was really out of that physical craving. So it wasn't scratching an itch because there was no itch to scratch. Cause for me, I think it was like 45 days or I don't, I don't remember the exact days, but it was a while after I had kind of stopped. It might've been a few months even. And so there was no physical itch to scratch but I just really wanted to like experience it because I think something happened to me at least where I was in this point of view that, did I make it all up? Like, was it really that big of a deal? Like everybody else seems to just carry on and, and was it all in my head? And then when I did drink, I was like, oh, no, nope. all the things I thought were true were true. And if I would have just kind of tried to, to plow through that and not actually address my doubts head on, I don't think I would be so like free in it. And so I think that's, um, yeah, I love that you shared that. I think it's, it's so true. And I, I do think there's such an overwhelming because there is so much fear because in some cases, you know, for people that one drink isn't just a glass and a half of champagne, it's a three-day bender. And, you know, so there's, there's certainly a lot of fear, but I also think we also have to be adults. I mean, the reality is that we are adults <laughs> we're going to drink no matter if somebody puts arbitrary rules on us or not, or we're not going to drink. And so really going to finding true peace for us and true freedom, like even if that takes experimentation, like that should be the goal. And I am always talking about that. I don't think that, you know, if the goal is sobriety, um, 
how do we know that we're sober and peaceful? How do we know that we're sober and truly free? How do we know that we're sober and, you know, really whole in our heart about our behavior? Whereas if the goal is peace and freedom and wholeness and certainty, then whatever road that takes for you, whether it's sobriety or not sobriety, or, you know, an occasional drink or none at all, you know, I mean, I've, I've had people do all sorts of things. Like I have a a friend who after a two year break, he now has whiskey on Christmas with his dad and he has very firm guardrails around it, but he wants to experience that. Every time he does it, it reinforces for him why he doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so important to his dad, they're Irish, that they are doing this together that he's like, okay, I want to make this happen until my dad dies. And so that's his choice. It's, it's so unique. And, and I, I think that that's so important to like find what, what works for us kind of despite all of the, um, you know, cause really we are adults. We're going to do what we're going to do. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the end of the line. Like, it's just true. Like, it doesn't matter if I give you a bunch of rules that are arbitrary or made up or based on my own experience or somebody else has all their own opinions based on their own experience. Like we're going to do what we're going to do. And so finding that freedom inside yourself, I think is just so beautiful. I love that you shared that. Well, thanks. I mean, I feel like I've gotten to know myself a lot better too. And you're right. Everybody is going to do what they're going to do. I think I was locked into a lot of habits of people pleasing and, you know, just not wanting to make anyone else feel uncomfortable. Um, and I sort of had to get out of my head around that and really choose to do what's right for me and, um, and realize that you know, some of the stuff that I was doing, I didn't really enjoy. It was sort I was overriding it with that glass of wine or two. Um, you know, I've learned that I really don't like staying up late. I like to go to bed early and I like to wake up early. Um, there's, I don't like to really go out at night. I'm a day person. I like to do stuff during the day. And, you know, that's when I'm active, not trying to force myself into these different scenarios and sort of numb the discomfort or just not wanting to be there, the boredom with with alcohol. And so I think I've gotten more confidence too in that and really figuring out like what works for me, what I want to do, as opposed to what, you know, is somebody else's agenda. Yeah. So great. So great. Um, well, this has been amazing. Uh, is there any other sort of aspects that you felt like were really relevant or things that you found difficult at the beginning um, that you wanted to talk through at all? Well, I wanted to mention my husband because he's been my partner in all of these social activities throughout our life. I met him in college, so we've been through it all together. And we, I mean, that was part of our routine is like enjoying a glass of wine when he came home while I was cooking. And, um, you know, it was going to be an adjustment when I stopped. So when I, when I decided that I was done, I told him, look, I'm not going to drink anymore I'm trying to stop and so I'd appreciate it if for one week you just don't drink in front of me if you don't open a bottle of wine and then after I get over that first week hump you know I'll probably be okay and he said that's fine and I got through it and even on day three I said you know what if you want to have some wine have some I'm fine like I'm it's it's good and so he started drinking and I think he started drinking a little more because I wasn't sharing the bottle with him and then after a couple months, he decided that he was going to stop too. 
he's sort of competitive with me in terms of <laughs> healthiness. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, you're not going to get this one up on me. I'm going to stop too. And I said, well, great, you know, but do it for you. Don't do it for me. And so he stopped. And honestly, because of quarantine and COVID, it's been sort of an easy uh, ease in for us socially because we haven't been social at all because of all, you know, the pandemic and quarantine. And so um, I feel like he really got solidified in his habit of not drinking and, and so have I. And, and now if we were to go to a social event, when we do, it's not going to be as scary. I feel like I've just processed like, okay, I know for sure. I've been through this whole thing and I know that, um, you know, it's going to be easy to say no. And I think he feels the same way. And I just, I just wanted to bring that up because it's nice to have your partner in on this with you. And something we talk about a lot, Drew and I, is that if he had kept drinking, what that would have been like. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that could be a challenge. Um, you know, just for a lot of different reasons. And I feel fortunate that, um, that he's doing this with me. And if he wasn't, I don't think I would change my road at all, but it's just nice to have a partner. And, and I also think a lot about people who stop and, and who don't have a partner who's, um, doing the same thing and, and that that might be hard. I don't know if you've talked to, yeah, something like that. I think that it's like for for me, it was um, I think over a year, maybe longer, um, before my husband just kind of dwindled off drinking, kind of into oblivion, and and very specifically after telling me he was always going to drink, and there was never a chance. And so, I actually saw that at the time as a bit of a gift. Um, well, maybe not at the time, but. I, I now saw it as a gift because I had to be so certain about my own choices and I did feel really certain. And so it felt really, really kind of good to me. And I remember, you know, just going, I remember one night we went out to a concert and I went to get a drink and I was like, Hey, what do you want? And he's like, I'll just have what you're having. And I'm like, Oh, well, I'm going to have a, you know, a sparkling water and cranberry juice. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. I was like, okay. Didn't really say anything. And then a few weeks later, like he was going to, um, watch a football game up in our, like where we went to college uh, with a bunch of friends. And he usually spent the night because he was drinking and he called me at 11. He's like, I'm on my way home. And I was like, oh, he's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't drink anything. And I was like, huh, okay. And then like, I don't know, six months went by. And then, I mean, now years later, he will tell you that he, he doesn't drink, but like, it was such a non, non-issue kind of. And so it allowed me to kind of have both experiences um, it is certainly nice to have a partner who doesn't drink, but I do think it was really a gift for him to not join kind of the thing initially because it, it made, it made me really decide like I needed to be sure of this for myself. And so I think it, it was really good. I do think it, it can be really hard. Um, and it should be talked about because it can be really hard when one person is just really heavily drinking and another person isn't. Uh, I think that the best way to show up though is with kind of support because it is like a lot of, if you feel resistance or defensiveness or even somebody trying to get you to drink again, mm -hmm. um, a lot of that comes from a fear that they have that things are gonna change between you or that you're gonna judge them, right? And so when that manifests and you actually judging them, 
<laughs> it can be really <laughs> triggering, right? And so, yeah. but it's very hard at the same time not to, to just kind of like, oh, well, is that three beers? Really? You're going for a fourth? You know, little things like that um, can be really detrimental to a relationship because no matter how good a change is for one person, change in a relationship is, is destabilizing because it's scary. And so um, trying to really double down on them knowing that you love them no matter what and that you're there for them no matter what and that this is your choice and this is for you and you're doing this for you and you don't need them to change for you is I think the best healthiest way through it and ironically if you can do that truly authentically like I did I think they do they are impacted by your behavior because you can be really separate in your behavior but really closely connected and I think so many times in couples, we are so dependent on the other person for our happiness, which isn't healthy anyway, but it's a whole other podcast. But like when we are so, like if they do something um, different than us, we feel so threatened, like it's it's gonna destabilize things. And when you can show that like, no, I'm gonna be different in this way, but but that doesn't mean anything about our, our connection. I think that is the way that like gives the, the couple really the biggest chance at just success as a couple um, and maintaining like a really close connection and relationship, but equally the biggest success at, at actually long-term influencing of the other person. Um, mm -hmm. Although in the moments, you know, it certainly can take a lot of, you know, you have to just really be um, firm in your own convictions. But yeah, I think it's a really important topic to talk about because not everybody has the same experience. And one of the most difficult um, situations I think people can find themselves in is when they're, they are totally alone and they're not married and their kids are out of the house or they didn't have kids and they're by themselves. And there is no accountability in terms of like, you know, if, if somebody, if they did, so go a little while and then they'll decide to have another drink and there's just like, nobody even cares. Nobody's even here. Nobody's even seeing me. And I think, mm -hmm. although that is probably one of the more difficult situations, it's also really a gift in the sense that like, when you have to be so firm in your own convictions, um, you do become much stronger in them. It's almost like you're, I, I like to compare it to, to instead of just running the race, say this is a race that we're all on, somebody who's doing it completely on their own or somebody who's doing it on their own in a marriage where their husband is drinking, they're basically running, running the race with like a backpack that has some rocks in it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. although it's harder initially, they will be the stronger person at the end of the race. And so I think that that is, you know, something to, to realize that although um, there are, you know, each, everything has its own, its own set of, of difficulties, but I love the, I love the conversation because it's so worth, worth talking about. It is. And I think that this community has such value for those people who do feel alone on this journey. I mean, I think I felt very alone when I stopped because like I said, I was, surrounded by people who enjoyed drinking and weren't experiencing the same things I, I would. So I really came to rely on the podcast stories. I loved hearing other people's stories. I loved um, going online and reading the community page. And, you know, it just helped. It's such a nice way to connect with other people who are doing the same thing. And so it's such a wonderful resource. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So let me ask you the question, Annie, that I always ask at the end, which is um, if you could go back in time and talk to Annie, who was just, 
you know, squeezing her wine in during those few hours <laughs> in between sports <laughs> and, and kind of waking up in the middle of the night. Um, what would you tell her about how things have, have turned out? Okay, so I would tell her, I would say, Annie, everything you think this wine is doing for you is actually doing the opposite. It is not giving you more energy. It is not uh, relieving your anxiety. It is not helping you get to sleep any better. Um, it's not helping you through your day. Everything that you are wanting to have happen is on the other side of this. And so I just wish that I had done this sooner. I feel like the timing was good because um, all three of my kids are still home and I have a senior, I have two girls in high school and a senior who's graduating this year. So this is such a good time to be totally focused and present and thinking clearly, modeling this behavior to my kids. I'm so happy that I did this when I did. I only wish I had done it earlier. That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed getting to know you and hear, hearing your story. I was so excited to be here and to talk about this. I feel like I don't talk about it as much as I'd like to. So this is such a great opportunity for me to share my story. Thank you for inviting me to do so. Oh, thank you. No, it's awesome. So great.